Swimsuit? Check. Sunscreen? Check. Phone charger? Check. Don't forget to pack the 5-Hour Energy. It fits great in a pocket or carry-on, and the alert feeling will help you arrive ready for anything. Now get 20% off when you use code 5HETRAVEL at 5HourEnergy.com. Expires April 30th. One-time use only. Not valid with other discounts. Remember, visit 5HourEnergy.com and use code 5HETRAVEL to save 20%. What's up, you guys? I'm Andrea. And I'm Haley. And you're listening to Inhuman, a true crime podcast. All right, welcome back, everybody. So... We're just gonna we're just gonna dive right into this one because today I am covering a highly highly requested case, um, and it is the perverse, revolting, raping, murdering case of Joseph James D'Angelo, aka the Visalia. I think that's how you say it. Ransacker, yeah. the East Area Rapist, the original Night Stalker, and ultimately the Golden State Killer. Yep. So I first heard about this case from Karen Kilgariff from My Favorite Murder, which their podcast actually catapulted me into the world of True Crime Podcast because prior to that, I didn't even know that they existed. (laughs) (laughs) And I remember that they covered this case on their very first episode, and it was actually just the East Area Rapist at that time. Yeah. um, Because I don't think they had made all the connections yet, or at least publicly. Yeah. Um, and I remember listening intently to all the details and then they published an updated episode in 2018 when D'Angelo was arrested and confirmed to not only be the East Area Rapist, but he was also the original Night Stalker and the Golden State Killer. Yep. And at that time, I engulfed myself in learning as much as I could about the case But ultimately, another case came along, and I immersed myself in that instead. So I am excited to be revisiting the details of this case, learning even more in this deep dive, and sharing it with you all today. I honestly feel like, like, obviously, I've heard a lot about this case. And, like, I remember when Mm -hmm. it first was coming out that he was, like, they had a name. The guy. Yeah, like, Mm -hmm. I remember that. But I also feel like I haven't really... I tend to like not listen to really big cases when I'm listening to other true crime and just in general, like I don't like cases that I feel like I've heard a lot about. I don't always listen to, but I feel like because of that, I don't really know all the details of this case because right like when he was found was right when I was really getting into true crime. And so I wasn't really aware of like how big of a deal it was. Like, obviously I was like, Oh wow. Like somebody discovered after so long, but I don't think I realized like, how crazy it was and how like awful this guy was and so because of that I feel like I really don't know a lot of the details of the case like I really don't know a lot about it other than like how he was captured so I'm excited that you're covering this case because I feel like I'll learn a lot well I think too is this because they were thought to be separate crimes and separate men they they weren't like a big deal in the media right you know, they were definitely, like, 
big deals for the armchair detectives and, you know, the investigators because these are horrific crimes and they were piecing together that they thought that these crimes could be related. Yeah. But he raped and murdered so many people and he's probably like one of, if not the most prolific serial killer of all time. Mm -hmm. So it is kind of shocking that he didn't get more media coverage back when these these cases were going on yeah. but now he's massive and you know he's been linked to so many like over 150 crimes i believe it is yeah. and that's just insane so yeah all right on april 24th 2018 joseph james d'angelo was arrested in connection to over 50 rapes and 30 murders after four decades of eluding investigators this monster coined the Golden State Killer thanks to a very important puzzle piece to this case. Michelle McNamara mm -hmm. was finally brought to justice. So we have a lot to discuss in this case. And I am including so many details that it's probably going to get annoying. But no. I think it's important because, number one, all victims deserve justice. They deserve to be talked about. Mm -hmm. And he did horrible things to so many people. But let's go ahead and get started with D'Angelo's life and the timeline of his crimes. All right. I'm glad you're including all the details because I feel like with a case like this, you have to. Like it's, yeah, you're not doing it justice yeah. if you don't. So exactly. You guys have been wanting longer episodes and here you go. Herrick is coming in hot. <laughs> If you love game nights and mysteries, we have the perfect thing for you. Hunt a Killer makes immersive mystery games where you can become the detective. Each box from Hunt a Killer comes complete with a fun new mystery you have to solve, which, hi, I love murder mysteries. Mm -hmm. The stories are immersive with evolving characters, forensic detail, and realistic evidence. The items in the box are so neat and realistic You'll want to keep them when the game is over. And we did. And my son loves playing with the little figurine that came with ours. <laughs> I love that. In each game, you'll find puzzles, ciphers, and more. And just like real detective work, you'll have to establish means, motives, and opportunity for the suspects to figure out what happened. The best part is there are a variety of games. There's standalone single-part crime cases, multi-chapter mystery boxes, jigsaw puzzles, which... I love puzzles and have been so into them lately, so I've been loving those. And you can even get a monthly subscription to sol solve a storyline that unfolds on a monthly basis over time. That's so awesome. We love playing Hunt a Killer games when we want to spruce up an at-home date night or even have some fun with my little preschooler. <laughs> the games come in different difficulty levels so everyone in the family can get involved. You can head over to Hunt a Killer at huntakiller.com slash inhuman and use code inhuman for 10% off your order of great murder mystery games today. Thank you, Hunt a Killer, for sponsoring this episode. Don't forget to go to huntakiller.com slash inhuman and use code inhuman for 10% off your order so you can start playing now. Joseph D James D'Angelo Jr. was born on November 8, 1945 in Bath, New York to Kathleen Louise DeGroat and Joseph James D'Angelo Sr. 
D'Angelo was the oldest of four children. He had two sisters, Connie and Rebecca, and one brother, John. His father was a sergeant in the U.S. Army, so their family moved around a little bit when he was a child, um, but around 9 or 10, they did settle in West Germany, where his father was stationed, and it's alleged that at this point in his life, he witnessed his seven-year-old sister, Connie, getting sexually assaulted by two servicemen. Oh, my gosh. Okay. Yeah. Two grown men and a seven-year-old little girl. Yeah. yeah. Wow. So a lot of people feel as though this is when things took a terrible turn for D'Angelo because after this, he began to exhibit some troubling behaviors such as abusing animals. Mm. This is also when his legal troubles started and he allegedly committed several burglaries after this terrible event took place. And they, they claimed that he kind of became obsessed with rape after this um, and that it probably eventually led to him committing rapes himself. Wow. Okay. Yeah. That's so sick. Just so like, yeah, like your baby sister and then you end up doing the same thing. Yeah. Like, oh. Mm-mm. By the time D'Angelo was in middle school, their family had moved back to the United States and had settled in Sacramento, California. Their family struggled financially, so his mother worked as a waitress at the local Denny's while his father continued touring for the army, eventually leaving his wife and children behind. Okay. According to D'Angelo's siblings and later testimony, D'Angelo was abused by his father as a child. Their father was emotionally unavailable to his children, and he was not around for a lot of their lives. I feel like he has all of the, like, classic serial killer, like, childhood precursors or whatever. Yeah, Yeah. The harm to animals, witnessing traumatic events to your family members, like, your father being absent. Obviously, that doesn't, those things don't mean somebody's going to become a serial killer but Mm -hmm. there are several serial killers who have a lot of that right no you're right d'angelo attended mills junior high school and then went on to study at Folsom high school while he was in school d'angelo played for the varsity or excuse me played baseball for the junior varsity team in 1964 D'Angelo's parents divorced, and soon after, D'Angelo himself joined the military, and he uh, went into the Navy. Okay. In the Navy, he worked as a damage controlman on the USS Canberra during the Vietnam War. After serving 22 months in the Navy, he returned home as a decorated veteran He had earned a National Defense Service Medal, a Vietnam Service Medal, and a Vietnam Campaign Medal. Wow. Yeah. In 1968, D'Angelo enrolled in college at Sierra College in Rockland, California. He had been struggling with his studies, and he decided to hire a tutor. And that's when he met Bonnie Caldwell. Eventually, the two started disputing. Uh, dating despite everyone thinking that they were an odd pair. Bonnie's father did not approve of D'Angelo dating his daughter since he was about five years older than Bonnie at that time. However, he would eventually warm up to the idea of them dating, especially when he learned that, excuse me, 
D'Angelo was a decorated vet. Okay. Which is, like, kind of silly. Yeah. I mean, I get it. Like, it's respectable, but, like, don't just be like, oh, well, if you're a vet, that's fine. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Like, maybe look at everything together. Yeah. But her father had served in World War II, so I'm sure he, you know, like I said, respected that about him and thought that that was honorable. By 1970, Bonnie and D'Angelo were engaged. However, their engagement would not last. A year later, Bonnie broke things off, claiming that D'Angelo was too manipulative and abusive. In later interviews with investigators, they asked Bonnie if she had ever been forced or coerced into having sex with D'Angelo or if she had ever been tied up during sex. She responded that she had not, but she did, however, explain to them that when she met D'Angelo, she had been a virgin and that he exhibited some odd sexual behaviors, even in her opinion, having no you know, prior experience to compare it to. Okay. She said sex with him was often exhausting, exhausting and painful. And just as he would be about to finish, he'd stop, wait, then return a couple of minutes later and resume ultimately finishing. Okay. And he would repeat that pattern four or five times over a three hour period. Wow. Yeah. That's like awful. Yeah. Bonnie said that he bragged about having that kind of control over his body. Huh. Okay. Which, like, you don't need to do all that. Yeah. <laughs> While they were together, D'Angelo would often put Bonnie in dangerous situations. She was afraid of getting arrested, all the while D'Angelo thought he was invincible. Of course. The final straw for Bonnie was when he asked her to cheat on an exam for him, and she refused. He wouldn't let the issue go, and he became more threatening and manipulative. So, after they split, D'Angelo eventually graduated from Sierra College, earning his associate's degree in police science. Okay. In 1971, he enrolled at CSU Sacramento, which is uh, California Southern University. Or State University. California State University, yeah. This the CSU is like a the California State College system and they're all over right. the, the state. There's tons of them, yeah. yeah. Okay. And there he earned a bachelor's degree in criminal justice. This same year, his mother remarried a salesman named Jack Basanco and they moved to Auburn, California. Okay, wait, we need to go back for a second because I was blowing my nose, but he got a degree in criminal justice. Yeah. <laughs> wow. Okay. That's, uh, okay. I mean. Oh, it gets better. You you just like, you just, well, you probably know, but. And yeah. Brian Koberger, the person who committed the mm -hmm. Idaho murders. Most likely he's not uh, convicted yet, but. Convicted yet, but. Mm -hmm. Wow. Okay. Yeah. Got it. I mean, you gotta, gotta be on the inside scoop, right? Yeah. Apparently. Jeez. I know. D'Angelo decided that he wanted to continue his education in police training, so he took some courses at the College of the Sequoias in Vasalia. Am I saying that right? I feel like I'm saying it so country. I feel like, I think it's <laughs> Vasalia, but honestly, I don't know. Let me look okay, it up. Okay, Vasalia. <laughs> I looked it up, and I have the phonetic spelling, but I think I'm still saying okay, it Okay, hold on. I'm going to look it up real quick. 
Visalia, according to Visalia. Okay, Visalia. All right. After this, he completed a 32-week police internship at Roseville Police Department. (sighs) Yeah. Oh, my God. And his dream job was to join the California Highway Patrol. Okay. But that didn't really happen. But he had to start somewhere. So instead, he got hired on at the Exeter Police Department in 1973. Okay. And wouldn't you know, that same year, the crimes of the Vesalia Ransacker began. Mm-hmm. That part I did know. Yeah. So we know that the Ransacker terrorized this area from 1974 to 19, 1975. He did kill at least one victim, Claude Snelling. So basically what happened in that case was in the early morning hours of September 11th, 1975, D'Angelo attempted to kidnap a teenage girl from her home. Oh my gosh. Her father, Claude Snelling, intervened and D'Angelo shot him. And sadly, he did die on the way to the hospital. Oh, okay. This was just six months after Claude had arrived home one evening to find a man standing outside his daughter's window. Oh. That time he was able to chase the man off, but unfortunately, or chase the man, but unfortunately he did lose him. Okay. Later, Claude's daughter would describe this man to police as a white male between 5'8 and 5'11, possibly in his late 20s, medium to stocky build, angry eyes, strong hands, and a masculine, low, raspy voice that sounded more like a growl. Ooh. He wore a dark ski mask with stripes, and he wore dark clothing and soft shoes that squeaked, possibly sneakers. Okay. Now, as you can imagine, he was coined the ransacker because, well, he would do just that. Mm -hmm. He would sometimes appear outside windows, wearing no pants, peering inside. Other times, he'd sneak in undetected and touch women while they slept fleeing when they'd wake up he'd still very little when he did like items like coins rings piggy banks cash okay but at this time he would strike multiple times a night wow i know he was known to take ammunition and there was one report where he stole a 22 ruger pistol But as implied, D'Angelo would ransack the homes and leave everything completely destroyed. Wow. There are over 150 reports connected to the ransacker. Some of those are unconfirmed, but investigators believe they are tied to D'Angelo. On December 10th, 1975, police got very close to capturing D'Angelo. Oh, I know. I'm like, God, why? <laughs> I know. Like, imagine had he stresses been me out then. <laughs> mm-hmm. Oh, I know. I mean, obviously they they did their best, but God damn it. <laughs> yeah. Back in July, a 19 year old girl witnessed D'Angelo leaving an upstairs apartment over her family's home after a burglary. D'Angelo aggressively pushed the girl down and made his escape. A few months later, the same girl witnessed a man lurking outside her window, and police knew right away it was the same guy. 
the ransacker. They decided to do a stakeout to see if he returned, and sure enough, they were correct. Because what I gather is that he would hyperfixate on his victims. He would stalk them. And we'll learn more about this when I go into the investigation. Um, But he did his research. He did his due diligence to find out patterns and things like that to make sure that he could successfully complete his crimes and do the horrible things that he did. Officer William McGowan was there waiting. The man stood by the garage, peeked inside, then moved toward the side of the garage, heading to the back gate. Officer McGowan silently followed behind. The man began the man began tampering with the lock for a moment and Officer McGowan thought now's his chance. He clicked on his flashlight, aimed it at the man's head, and the intruder screamed, Oh my god <laughs> and faced Officer McGowan. Okay. He then screamed, oh no, oh my god, no. His voice frantic and very shrill, which if you remember is not normally how the ransacker's voice is described. Yeah. They described it as being deep, guttural, that kind of thing. Yeah. So the man, aka D'Angelo, ran around the yard, literally in a zigzag, continuing to scream, and Officer McGowan shot off a warning shot. Okay. D'Angelo then jumped over a fence into the neighboring yard where Officer McGowan followed his pursuit and demanded D'Angelo to stop and put his hands up. Finally, D'Angelo stopped and raised his left hand, stating, Don't hurt me. Look, my hands are up. (laughs) Meanwhile, digging in his pocket with his right hand. Okay. So your hands aren't up? Yeah. He then pulled out a gun and shot at Officer McGowan. Oh, my God. Luckily, only hitting the flashlight that he had beside his face. Okay. But, obviously, knocked him down, and the fucker escaped. Of course. McGowan's partner arrived on scene. A couple minutes later, he had been waiting nearby in a patrol car, and they called for help, but D'Angelo was nowhere to be found. So, he fucking got away. All right. What is most wild to me, aside from that he committed these crimes, is that during the ransacker attacks and eventually the East Area Rapist attacks and the Golden State Killer murders, D'Angelo was married. That is insane. Yeah. So in the late 60s, D'Angelo met Sharon Huddle, a law student at CSU Sacramento, And in November of 1973, the couple married. At the time of their marriage, Sharon was 20 and D'Angelo was 27. And he actually, when they began dating, she was underage, technically. Okay. Um, But, you know, it's the 70s. Like, yeah, it's not really that taboo, I guess, back then. Yeah. (laughs) So in 1976, just a few years after they got married, D'Angelo began working for the Auburn Police Department. And he worked there until 1979 when he was arrested for shoplifting. Oh, my gosh. He had been caught stealing a hammer and dog repellent from Citrus Heights. Like a drugstore in Citrus Heights. Okay. (laughs) Yeah. So, why? That would be so suspicious to me. But, obviously, they're not just going to be like, oh, you're 
the east, you yeah, know, or yeah. you're the ransacker or whatever. Yeah, but it's, dog repellent yeah. and a hammer, those are like, I don't know, suspicious. Yeah. After the incident, D'Angelo was formally fired from the police department. And as you can imagine, these were the years the East Area Rapist attacks occurred. Yeah. So D'Angelo's M.O. as the East Area Rapist was typically stalking middle-class neighborhoods at night in search of women who were alone in preferably one-story homes, usually near some sort of open space that would provide an easy escape for him. So I'm going to, I might say East Area Rapist, I might say D'Angelo, and I might even use the acronym EAR. Okay. So just bear with me because I tried to switch it up so I wasn't just saying D'Angelo, 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 okay. D'Angelo the whole time. <laughs> so the East Area Rapist's first attack was on June 18th, 1976. 23-year-old Carrie Frank was home alone and she never even heard D'Angelo enter her home. She saw a man standing in her doorway and thought it was her father who had maybe come home early from work, but despondently it was not. Mm. From June of 1976 to May of 1977, D'Angelo attacked and assaulted 23 girls and women. His next two, his next two victims were Sally Graham, who was only 15, and her sister Sarah, who was 16. They were attacked on July 17, 1976, and it's reported that only Sally, who was the younger of the two, was sexually assaulted, but both girls had been attacked. Okay. His next three victims were 41-year-old Rose Scott and her two children, 15-year-old Brenda and 12-year-old Kathleen. Mm. Wow. Rose was able to fight off the attack, but she sustained substantial head wounds. In one source, I read it was reported that during her interview with police, Rose stated that her attacker wasn't very strong. (laughs) And had he not been carrying a gun and a club, she thinks she could have handled him. Oh, my God. I love that. (laughs) Which, like, fuck yeah, Rose. Like, that's awesome. Yeah. As we all know, life can get a little hectic sometimes. For me, being pregnant, a dog mom, and working full-time keeps my days jam-packed, and thinking about what I'm going to eat during the day can really stress me out. But thankfully, I now have Daily Harvest, who does more so I can do less. Think stress-free meals delivered to your doorstep. So easy. Daily Harvest delivers delicious harvest bowls, which are personally my favorite. So good. flatbreads, snacks, smoothies, lattes, and more built on organic fruits and vegetables. Daily Harvest works directly with farmers to source the best ingredients, freezes them at peak ripeness to lock in the flavor and nutrients, and they never use artificial preservatives or ingredients, which, as a mom, is very important to me because they put a lot of secret stuff in food and they need to chill. (laughs) (laughs) Agreed. With nourishing and easy-to-prep options with Daily Harvest, I never have to think twice about what to eat for my next meal, snack, or dessert, which for me right now in my pregnancy is amazing because I can just grab something, warm it up, and it's easy to eat and delicious. 
I love it because everything stays fresh in my freezer until I'm ready to enjoy it, helping me reduce food waste, which is something my husband loves because he despises throwing out food that has gone bad. Same. I love everything I've tried, but my favorite so far has been the artichoke and spinach flatbread. It is delicious Mm -hmm. and tastes like something like a pro chef just whipped up for me. (laughs) My husband also really loves the smoothies because you just add liquid and blend it up. So it's really easy for him to make before work in the morning and just take on the go. Yeah. So let Daily Harvest do more so you can do less. Go to dailyharvest.com slash inhuman to get up to $40 off your first box. That's dailyharvest.com slash inhuman for up to $40 off your first box. Dailyharvest.com slash inhuman. On September 4th, 1976, 29-year-old Debbie Patrick was attacked. It's conveyed that her attack and rape was one of the more brutal attacks. Mm. And as D'Angelo left the scene, he stole Debbie's car. Francis Wood would be Ear's next victim and survivor. On October 5th, the 29-year-old, along with her three-year-old son, Mm. were tied up and she was raped. Oh, my God. Thankfully, it appears that her son was unharmed, and from the reports, I do not think that he was present during the sexual assault, but nonetheless, he was there, and that's traumatizing. Yeah. Just four days later, on October 9th, Heather Williams, who was 19, was taken to her back patio, where D'Angelo blindfolded and masturbated over her. Yeah. The next attack would take place on October 18th. Joyce Parker was in her home when a man suddenly appeared behind her holding a knife to her throat. He then blindfolded her, inappropriately touched her, and during the attack, her 10-year-old son, Timmy, woke up to use the restroom and saw the half-nude D'Angelo and ran to call the police. But once again, D'Angelo got away. Luckily, Joyce's four-year-old daughter, who was also there, slept through the entire attack. attack. That's crazy. I know. There's so many cases of that. Like, he must have been so quiet and so calculated. It is mind-boggling. Yeah. Because so many people were there, but they, like, were unharmed. Thankfully, had no idea what was going on. Like, it is so crazy. 19-year-old Julie Lowe was attacked next and assaulted while getting out of her car on October 18th, the same fucking night as the Joyce Parker attack. Yeah. Bold. Yeah. Very bold. And D'Angelo assaulted her and stole her car. Wow. The next victim would be attacked and assaulted on November 10th, and she was 16-year-old Kim Alcone. There were so many young girls. It's, like, disgusting. Yeah. On December 18th, 15-year-old Nancy Hauser was bound by shoelaces from her own home and raped three times during the assault. On January 18th of 1977, an unarmed, or not unarmed, unnamed 25-year-old woman reported that she had been raped. It's believed that this was the only Asian victim that D'Angelo attacked and the only pregnant victim Mm. that he had. Oh. She was five months pregnant. Oh, I know. God. That's that makes me like. Ugh. That's how pregnant I am right now. I'm five months pregnant. Uh, yeah. Wow. 
Oh I know. God. That's awful. I mean, you're dealing with so much and then that happens to you. Yeah. Wow. <sighs> the 25-year-old reported that he used her name several times and that he drank two beers and ate some food before leaving her home. Okay. And this would be a common thing in a lot of the crimes. Yeah. 30-year-old Patricia Patricia Lacer was physically and sexually assaulted by D'Angelo on February 7th. He pointed a gun at her abdomen, then bound her arms with her shoelaces and masturbated over her. On March 8th, D'Angelo struck again, raping a 37-year-old woman. Investigators believe he may have been stalking prior to this attack due to the fact they found week-old shoe prints under her window and there were several reports of dogs barking in the night, which... I guess was unusual for their neighborhood. The next victim and survivor of the East Area Rapist was 16-year-old Erica Janik. On March 18th, he snuck into her home, gagged, and raped her. Her parents later reported that the family had received several hang-up calls in the weeks prior to Erica's attack. After this attack, D'Angelo's MO changed. Okay. This is when he started attacking couples rather than women home alone. Okay. Which is so wild to me. Yeah. <laughs> that is like he's getting braver. He is. He is. The escalation is just, it's getting wild. Yeah. Investigators suspected that he switched gears because the media warned the public that ear would likely be attacking you if you were a woman and home alone. Mm, okay. So... The MO for these attacks would be D'Angelo would force the women victims to tie up their male companions. Then he'd subsequently tie the women up. Next, he'd separate the couples, often stacking dishes on the men's backs, threatening to kill anyone and everyone in the home if he heard the dishes even rattle. Wow. After this, he'd relocate the woman to another area of the home and rape her often repeatedly and sometimes the attacks would be hours that is like literal hours yeah but like what can anyone do the men are tied up they have dishes on their back the women are tied up they're they're, there's nothing to be done but it's true it just shows how brave he was because i mean he probably stalked these people so he knew that there was no one else that lived in the home but I mean, a neighbor could come over, like anything could happen, but he didn't give a fuck. He did not give a fuck. Wow. And he would also spend time eating their food, drinking their beer, and he would also sometimes steal small items, much like the ransacker attacks. He'd pillage through their drawers and closets, leaving their homes in disarray. So the first pair that Ear attacked was Dana Forsyth and her boyfriend, Lee Kwok. And that was on uh, April 2nd, 1977. Okay. Two young children were also in the home during the attack. D'Angelo assaulted and raped Dana as Lee was tied up. On April 5th, another pair was attacked. And this was Karen Vosper and her boyfriend, Cameron Wilsey. They were targeted by ear, and after tying them both up and raping Karen, he went into the kitchen several times to eat. After he completed his sick little games, he stole some cocaine and some weed and left the scene. Jeez. 
After the attack, the couple realized that their phone cords had also been cut. Okay. May 3rd, the next victims were Sandra and Leonard. Leonard? Leonard. <laughs> Terranian. Sorry. Again, D'Angelo tied them both up, sexually assaulted Sandra, and went to the kitchen repeatedly to eat. The couple's two young children were at the home, but they were undisturbed during the crime. 25-year-old Sue Barger and her friend, 34-year-old Phil Rains, were attacked next. D'Angelo raped Sue while Phil was helpless in the other room. During the attack, Phil's two dogs were so irritating that D'Angelo had to lock them in another bedroom. Wow. Yeah. Before leaving the scene, he indulged in a Coors Light. (sighs) I know. Shut up. Like, help yourself, buddy. Make yourself right at fucking home. Yeah. On May 14th, Janet and Brandy Pace were unfortunately the East Area Rapist's new victims. Next victims. Janet was raped, and while he assaulted her, he drank a beer. Uh, okay. After the attack, their neighbor found a bag nearby which contained some gloves and a flashlight that they believed belonged to the attacker. On May 17th, 26-year-old Joan Rosali was the next to be violated. D'Angelo told Joan if he saw this on the news... He'd kill two people the following night. Confusingly, he then told Joan's husband, Frank, that if he didn't see the attack on the news or in the papers, he'd kill two people the following night. So he's playing games. Yeah. (laughs) Along with Joan and Frank, their two children and Frank's father, who was visiting from Italy, were in the home asleep during the attack. Gail and Harry Britmore were the next victims and survivors of D'Angelo's. On May 28th, while their young son was in his bedroom asleep, D'Angelo tied the couple up and raped Gail. Before D'Angelo left their home, he drank a bottle of wine. Shortly before the attack, Gail reported that someone with a British accent called their home and asked Gail to take place in a sex survey. Okay. So investigators believe that that was probably D'Angelo. Yeah. On September 7th, 26-year-old Jennifer Sanford was assaulted, and during the attack, D'Angelo made remarks about having previously seen Jennifer in the store. After the attack, Jennifer's six-year-old daughter, Danielle, got up to go to the bathroom and met D'Angelo in the hallway. He then told her he was going to play some tricks on her mom and dad, And invited her to come and watch. Okay. Wow. She didn't answer. She went on to the bathroom. And then returned to bed where she eventually fell back asleep. Jennifer's husband and seven-year-old son were also in the home during the attack. On his way out, D'Angelo took a Pepsi and some peanut butter. Like, why? (sighs) Uh, Just like, it's it's like another... Fuck you. Yeah. I can do whatever I want. I can eat your food. I can drink your beer, your Pepsi. Yeah. Steal your stuff. Like, I have no regard for you in any way, shape, or form. (sighs) Yeah. On October 1st, 17-year-old Margarita Lopez and her boyfriend, 21-year-old Harvey Westcott, were the next victims. 
Margarita was supposed to be at her own apartment that night, but after an argument with Harvey, they made up and decided she'd come back to his place. D'Angelo broke in. He tied the couple up and sexually assaulted Margarita. The next couple targeted were Sandra and Don Belton. On October 21st, D'Angelo raped 32-year-old Sandra, and after the second assault, she reported that he began sobbing. Don and their 13-year-old daughter were in the home during the attack. Before leaving the scene, D'Angelo drank three beers. On October 29th, Eric and Margaret Hayworth were asleep in their home when Ear attacked. After raping Margaret the second time, he again began sobbing, saying, I'm sorry, Mom. Mommy, please help me. I don't want to do this, Mommy. Mm. He then drank three beers again before leaving the scene. The next assault took place on November 10th, and D'Angelo attempted to rape a 13-year-old girl named Deborah Kent. But 56-year-old Denise Kent was able to ward him off, and he escaped. There was not a lot of details as to exactly what went down, though. Like, I don't know if she fought him off or she just walked in and he ran. But luckily, whatever happened, happened. And 13-year-old Deborah was was safe from, from that. Okay. Wow. I know. On December 2nd, Roxanne McMeal was home alone with her 6-year-old daughter. Her husband was out for the evening and D'Angelo attacked Roxanne. Although he did not sexually assault her, he did move Roxanne to the other room, tie her up, and removed her underwear. Interesting fact that their home had been previously burglarized and the hide-a-key that they kept under their front mat had been missing for a couple of weeks. Oh, okay. So, obviously, investigators believe that it was probably him that did this. Yeah. And we don't really know why he didn't sexually assault Roxanne, which I'm thankful that he didn't, but there's no clear reason why. Yeah. Okay. Interesting. Yeah. The next attack was on two teenage sisters, Dana and Elaine Shapiro, on January 28th. So for this attack, D'Angelo kicked in their front door to gain entry to the home. After he raped the girls, he said, I don't want to do this anymore. She's making me do it. Okay. There's a lot of speculation of who he's referring to. Um, Some people think he's talking about his mother. And then some people think he's talking about Bonnie, his Mm. first, like, serious girlfriend. Um, But, I mean, we don't know one way or the other. Okay. Yeah. The next attack was on 24-year-old Eleanor Hickey and her boyfriend, Andrew Churchill, on March 18th. After he raped Eleanor, he stole her driver's license and several other items before fleeing the scene. On April 14th, 15-year-old Jean Allen was babysitting 8-year-old Don Hancock when D'Angelo broke into the Hancock home while the parents were out for the evening. And this is so sad, but he made several attempts to rape Jean, but he was unsuccessful. Oh my god. I know. Don was unharmed during the attack, thankfully, but I can only imagine the trauma that Jean must have yeah. gone through after this. On June 5th, Ear attacked 
and raped 27-year-old Danielle Christie while Howard Christie was tied up in another room. There was also a child in the home who was undisturbed during this attack. Wow. On June 7th, Faye Carmichael was brutally attacked and raped by D'Angelo. During the attack, he repeatedly punched her in the face, breaking her nose, and also stabbed her with something near her left eye. Oh, my God. Mm -hmm. This is one of the more brutal rapes. Wilberta and Albert Montgomery were the East Area Rapists' next victims. The attack took place on June 23rd, and Wilberta was raped while her husband, Albert, was tied up in another room. The very next day, on June 24th, 32-year-old Julie and her husband, Marvin Webster, were attacked. Their three children were in the home. D'Angelo raped Julie, and sometime during the attack, he ran into their 10-year-old son in the hallway, telling him to go into the bathroom and not to move or say a word. That's crazy. So he really was avoiding kids, like even if they saw him. Yeah, like, he had no interest in, in harming them right. for whatever reason. Wow. I mean, young, young, young kids. I mean, some of these rape victims were 12 and 13 years old. Right. So I guess as long as they looked a certain caliber, right. he would be like, okay, they're old enough for me to Ugh. take advantage of. I know, so disgusting. And I don't know if that was really like his thought process, yeah. but... Yeah. But it seems I mean, to... 10-year-olds and 12-year-olds, not much different, but looks-wise, a 10-year-old and a 12-year-old can look very different. Right. Oh, wow. So, to ensure that he stayed put, D'Angelo placed a cup over the knob of the bathroom door. So it would, like, fall? If he opened the door, right. yeah. Okay. And then he would be alerted and he could escape, you know, in case he tried to call the police. Right. On July 6th, Sheila Singleton, who was 33, was raped in her home while her two sons slept in the next room. After the attack, D'Angelo sobbed again at one point and said, I hate you, Bonnie. I hate you. I hate you. I hate you. Okay, so that obviously makes me think he was referring to Bonnie. Yeah, that's why a lot of people think that because... That attack was the first time he used someone's name. Mm. And they, I, I think in one report, it said Connie. But then they were like, well, it's probably Bonnie. Because, right. like, who's Connie? You and, know? like, so, that's too close of a name to say. Yeah. Like, right. Exactly. Yeah. <clears throat> so that's interesting yeah. to, to keep in mind, for sure. But I definitely think feel like it's all in his head. Oh, yeah. No, it definitely was. I mean, he was the one, you know, abusing and manipulating her, so. Oh, that's so sick. Yeah. On October 7th, 26-year-old Maureen and her husband, Bruce McCandles, arrived home that evening with their baby. And Bruce noticed their deadbolt to the front door was unlocked, which was odd. D'Angelo approached them with a revolver saying, I just want food and money. That's all. I'll kill you if you don't do as I say. He threatened them several more times that if they even looked at him, he'd have to kill them. Oh, God. And he even went as far as threatening if his orders were not followed exactly, he would cut off the baby's ear. Oh, my God. Which, obviously, he didn't do, but, like, fuck you for even saying that. Like, that's a little defenseless baby. Yeah. Sick fuck. 
after he raped Maureen, he placed dishes on her and Bruce's backs before leaving their home. He is so... I I wonder... And I know, like, this has been in a lot of the ones you've covered so far, but, like, what made him think in the first place to do that? Like, I get... The, the dishes thing? Yeah, like, I get the intention behind yeah. it, but, like, what makes you think that... I don't know. Like, it just baffles me. So, part of me thinks that, well, he used... Pretty much everything he used during his attacks were in the home. Right. Occasionally, he would bring his own gun, but, like, he would use knives, he would use towels, other materials to tie the victims up, shoelaces from their home. Right. So, I think he just was like, what can I do to ensure that these men don't get... Because he knew if they got up, it was it was over. Right. So, wow. okay. what could he use inside the home? He couldn't bring dishes, you know? Yeah. Like, so he probably just came up with that sitting at home one it. night and was like, this is great. Yeah. This is perfect. Yeah. Wow. That's, it's just, I don't know. For some reason. It is so weird, but it's like effective, obviously, yeah. you know? Because yeah. they were terrified that if they even rattled, they would all be dead. Yeah. <sighs> So, D'Angelo stole several items of value from the McCandles, like $4,000 worth of jewelry, camera equipment, and other various items. Which is, like, kind of different because normally he would just, like, steal small things, like maybe rings, coins, things like that. So, I think this was, like, the first burglary that he stole things of value, I guess. Okay. Of more like uh, monument, uh, not monumental. Um, what's the word that's escaping my brain? Mon something value. I don't monetary? know. Monetary. Monetary value. <laughs> yes, there we go. I was Sorry, like, what are you my brain was like monumental. Monumental. Okay. That's not it. Uh, yes, I understand. <laughs> yeah, that's the one. Right, okay. okay. When you drive a vehicle so reliable it's backed by a 10-year, 100,000-mile limited warranty, you stop thinking about what you can't do and start doing what you never thought possible. Visit your local Kia dealer today to see what you're capable of in a vehicle that inspires confidence around every corner. Kia. Movement that inspires. Call 800-333-4KIA for details. Always drive safely. Limited inventory available. Warranties include 10-year, 100,000-mile powertrain and 5-year, 60,000-mile basic. Warranties are limited. See retailer for details. You need parts? O'Reilly Auto Parts has parts. Need them fast? We've got fast. No matter what you need, we have thousands of professional parts people doing their part to make sure you have it. Product availability. Just one part that makes O'Reilly stand apart. The professional parts people. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts. On October 13th, D'Angelo struck again. This time, he broke into 30-year-old Paul West's home, where his girlfriend, 29-year-old <clears throat> Louise Simon, and her 8-year-old daughter, Linda, were staying. While he was raping Louise, Linda ran into the room, saw the masked man, and began screaming. D'Angelo ordered Louise to silence her daughter, but he ended up taking the little girl into the bathroom and told her to keep quiet. He turned out the lights and moved a heavy dresser in front of the door. D'Angelo took three bottles of beer from the refrigerator before leaving the scene. 
this case would be one of several, it would be the first of several cases where the DNA evidence left at the crime scene would be used later to catch him. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. Ian and Sonny Walther, both 23, were the next victims of D'Angelo's. During the assault on Sonny, D'Angelo told Sonny that he had seen her at the lake and that she looked real good. She asked him what lake, and he responded, whisper, whisper, motherfucker. That is so fucking (laughs) creepy. Yeah, like, like, what does that mean? Yeah. Ugh. After he raped Sonny repeatedly, she asked for some water in which D'Angelo filled up a glass in the kitchen sink and then threw the water on her. One of the most tragic details of this case, aside from the horrifying attack, was that the night was that that night was the couple's last night in their home. They were in the process of moving out. Oh my god. I know. It's like, uh. I hate when, like, coincidences like that yeah, add up and it it's, just, like, horrible. Like, uh, yeah. how can it be, like, the next night, you know? Yeah. But he probably knew that. Yeah, probably. He was probably, I mean, for all we know, paying attention to it. Exactly. On November 4th, Phyllis Akira, who was 34, was awakened by D'Angelo. He demanded she not move or he would kill her. He pressed a knife against her face and threw her on the bed, binding her wrists and ankles. Phyllis was then gagged and blindfolded and assaulted. And D'Angelo also masturbated over her. Phyllis's one-year-old baby was in the home and her husband was gone for the night. On December 2nd, Clark and Heidi Toho were attacked. He bound the couple and then repeatedly raped Heidi. After each rape, he began sobbing and then he'd regain control and rape her again. D'Angelo told Heidi he'd been watching her for a long time. And DNA evidence from this scene would also be later used to catch the scumbag, which is kind of neat. Yeah. It's crazy, like, talking about the crimes when they happened and then knowing that, like, eventually Mm -hmm. it would lead to... He gets caught. Yeah. Right. That's why, like, we always say, you never know. It's never too long. It's never too late. Yeah. You just never know. Yeah. 32-year-old Teresa McRae was raped by ear on December 9th. He implied that he either knew Teresa or had seen her before this attack. And he also left his fingerprints at the scene. On March 20th, 1979, Marie Salinas and her 12-year-old twin daughters were attacked by ear. Oh my god. He beat Marie up pretty badly during the assault, and he also stole $3,000 worth worth of jewelry from her home. Wow. I know. Well, like, why? (laughs) I mean, that can be said for all of these, but come on. Yeah. Yeah. On April 4th, Brad Erickson was at his home with his girlfriend, Jean Beaumont, who was 27. They were both tied up, and Jean was raped. 17-year-old Pamela Oliveira was babysitting two young children on the night of June 2nd when D'Angelo entered the home and attacked and raped her. During the assault, it's reported that he bit her incredibly hard on one of her breasts. Oh. Which was, that was different for him. Yeah. I don't know. 
DNA from this crime scene would later help catch D'Angelo. Heck yes. Mm -hmm. On June 11th, Clay and Ellen Saro were Ear's next victims and survivors. Ellen, who was 35 at the time of the attack, was raped repeatedly. And at some point, D'Angelo went into the kitchen and helped himself to a beer. On June 25th, 13-year-old Ashley Watkins was attacked. D'Angelo jumped on her back and placed his hand over her mouth while she was asleep. Oh, I know. She was just a baby, dude. Like, Yeah. Ashley's 16-year-old sister and their father were both home during the attack, but only Ashley was raped as he had entered and left through Ashley's room. The next attack, which took place on July 5th, was botched. Brandon and Sylvia Garnett were asleep in their home when Brandon woke up to see D'Angelo pulling a mask over his head in their bedroom mirror. 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 That means look. (laughs) He had set aside a pair of Brandon's shoes, but had not yet removed those laces. Okay. Brandon and Sylvia were able to escape their home and fled to a neighbor's to call police. No one ever saw D'Angelo leave the premises. On October 1st, the East Area Rapist last survivors were attacked. They were Priscilla Duffy and her boyfriend, Abel Playa. Once again, D'Angelo's plans were foiled and the couple was able to flee the scene and scream out for help. But D'Angelo once again managed to escape before the police arrived. Like, how? (laughs) It's just like, it's crazy. I mean, I I think a lot of it is is because of the time. There was no cell phones, you know, things like that. If he cut the phone lines, they couldn't call for police. I mean, there's a lot of things working against the victims, unfortunately. Yeah. And just the fact that he was so calculated in his crimes. Yeah. Like, he would sneak into these people's house, take shoelaces out of their shoes, rip towels up, get dishes, like, all this stuff before they even woke up and knew that he was there. Yeah. Oh, jeez. Now, as I mentioned during the ransacker attacks, D'Angelo was married to Sharon Huddle. And again, during the East Area Rapist attacks, he was still married Not only that, but the couple had three daughters together. Mm. Wow. I know. I'm like, what? He had. I don't know if I knew that. (laughs) Yeah, I think I knew he had kids, but I don't think I knew that he had three girls. Like, I don't know why, but that's always so disgusting to me when you have, like, female children and you're out raping female women. Like, or female women, that's redundant, but you know what I mean? (laughs) Yeah. So disgusting. The first was born in September of 1981. Their second daughter was born in November of 1986. And the third daughter was born in May of 1989. From what little we do know, D'Angelo and Sharon had a very rocky marriage, to say the least. Their neighbors would later report that they would often hear screaming matches between the two. And they also reported that Sharon and D'Angelo would not allow their daughters to play outside. Okay. Which is like, what were they doing then? It was the, what, the 80s? Like, yeah. what were you doing? Yeah. I mean, I guess you could have been like playing video games and like reading books and stuff, but. 
Yeah, but still. Interesting. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Sharon allegedly rarely, if ever, interacted with the neighbors, which honestly, knowing what I know about D'Angelo, can you honest, can you blame her? No. <laughs> no. Because she was probably miserable, number one, and she may have been being controlled by him. Like, he may have been demanding and, like, threatening, and she could yeah. have just been living in constant fear. Now, this is pure speculation, obviously, because she has shared little to nothing about her life with him, which is totally within her rights. Yep. But I do have a lot of sympathy for Sharon and her daughters, and they kind of get a lot of backlash later on during the investigation and the trial, or more so during the trial, like, after he's caught. Um, but I don't, I really don't understand that. But yeah, we'll get, we'll get into to more of that during the, the, the trial and stuff. Okay. The couple also reportedly slept in separate bedrooms for most of their marriage, and they did eventually separate in 1991, though they remained technically married till after D'Angelo's arrest when she finally wow. filed for divorce. Okay. So after their separation, Sharon bought a home in Roseville, California, and they continued to co-parent their children, and it's reported that they co-parented well together. Okay. Now, as we can see between the crimes committed by D'Angelo as the ransacker, then on to the crimes he committed as the East Area Rapist, like we discussed at the top of the episode, there was escalation. Yeah. And there would, again, be escalation as he became the original Night Stalker and eventually dubbed the Golden State Killer. For these crimes, he not only ransacked, burglarized, and raped the female victims, but this is where his murdering reign of terror would begin. And we will discuss those crimes along with the investigation and the trial in part two on Thursday's episode. (laughs) Yes. I can't believe that, like, we've been through an hour of shit he did and we haven't even gotten there yet. Mm Mm-mm. Mm-mm. That is insane how yeah. much he did. Like, I knew he was obviously, like, awful and a murderer, prolific or, killer, yeah. but wow. Yeah. So we're going to we're gonna deep dive into his Golden State Killer crimes or original Night Stalker because, as we know, like, that's what he was coined then because they, again, thought he was a different person, not related mm-hmm. to the other crimes. Um, and just for, like, the record, so I watched the documentary and the and read I'm almost done with the book now but um I'll be gone in the dark um which is something that he said to one of his victims Ooh, um, that gave me chills and I know and it's by Michelle McNamara who honestly is like a goddess like I just to to have that level of I don't even know like everything everything to to yeah. to, to, to go that I mean she crack the case i mean other people other people did too but like i feel like she like was the catalyst for connecting those crimes and then Mm -hmm. with dna technology they were able to it was her idea to test the dna with familial testing like she came up with that on her fucking own and she's she's just a um uh she is a journalist and she's a mom or you know was r.i.p but um 
it's just and I, I'm gonna go into a lot of detail about her in part two as well oh, I because can't wait for that. I don't I know a lot love about her. her I'm I literally like worship her right now um <laughs> I love it and like her life and just everything that she did for this case is just so amazing and yeah <sighs> anyway wow. so yep so that's all, all for right. part one and we're gonna deep dive to part two um Hopefully I can fit it all in part two, but <laughs> we'll see where the, we'll see. <laughs> yeah. Where the cookie crumbles, TBD. but yeah, but that is all I have for you guys today. Join us for part two on Thursday and until then keep it human. Bye.